You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to interact with others who are listening and following along and share your own thoughts and insights about today's reading. Now, let us thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Storm Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Storm Maria teaches how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 239, and we are reading from volume 3, book 6, Chapter 13, paragraphs 512 to 520. Chapter 13. Our Savior is delivered into the hands of his enemies by the treason of Judas, and is taken prisoner. The behavior of the Most Holy Mary on this occasion, some of the mysteries of this event. 512. While our Savior occupied himself in praying to his Father for the spiritual salvation of the human race, The perfidious disciple Judas sought to hasten the delivery of Christ into the hands of the priests and the Pharisees. At the same time, Lucifer and his demons, not being able to divert the perverse will of Judas and of the other enemies of Christ from their designs on the life of Christ their creator and master, changed the tactics of their satanic malice and began to incite the Jews to greater cruelty and effrontery in their dealings with the Savior. As I have already said several times, the devil was filled with great suspicions, lest this most extraordinary man be the Messiah and the true God. He now resolved to ascertain whether his misgivings were well-founded or not by instigating the Jews and their ministers to the most atrocious injuries against the Savior. He imparted to them his own dreadful envy and pride, and thus literally fulfilled the prophecy of Solomon, Wisdom 2.7. For it seemed to the demon that if Christ was not God and only a man, he certainly must weaken and be conquered in the persecutions and torments. If, on the other hand, he was God, he would manifest it by freeing himself and performing new miracles. 5.13. Similar motives urged on the priests and Pharisees. At the instigation of Judas, they hastily gathered together a large band of people, composed of pagan soldiers, a tribune, and many Jews. Having consigned to them Judas as a hostage, they sent this band on its way to apprehend the most innocent lamb, who was awaiting them, and who was aware of all the thoughts and schemes of the sacrilegious priests, as foretold expressly by Jeremiah 11.19. All these servants of malice, bearing arms, and provided with ropes and chains and the glaring torch and lantern light, issued from the city in the direction of the Mount Olivet. The prime mover of the treachery, Judas, had insisted upon so much precaution, for in his perfidy and treachery 
He feared that the meekest master, whom he believed to be a magician and sorcerer, would perform some miracle for his escape. As if arms and human precautions could ever have availed if Jesus should have decided to make use of his divine power. As if he could not have brought this power into play in the same way as he had done on the other occasions. Should he now choose not to deliver himself to suffering and to the ignominies of the cross? 5.14. While they were approaching, the Lord returned the third time to his apostles, and finding them asleep, spoke to them, Sleep ye now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Behold, he that will betray me is at hand. Mark 14.41. Such were the words of the Master of Holiness to the three most privileged apostles. He was unwilling to reprehend them more severely than in this most meek and loving manner. Being oppressed, they did not know what to answer their Lord, as Scripture says, Mark 14.40. They arose, and Jesus went with them to join the other eight disciples. He found them likewise overcome and oppressed by their great sorrow and fallen asleep. The Master then gave orders that all of them together, mystically forming one body with him their head, should advance toward the enemies, thereby teaching them the power of mutual and perfect unity, for overcoming the demons and their followers, and for avoiding defeat by them. For a triple cord is hard to tear, as says Ecclesiastes 4.12, and he that is mighty against one may be overcome by two, that being the effect of the union. The Lord again exhorted all the apostles and forewarned them of what was to happen, Already and confused, noise of the advancing band of soldiers and their helpmates began to be heard. Our Savior then proceeded to meet them on the way, and with incomparable love, magnanimous courage, and tender piety prayed interiorly. O sufferings, longingly desired from the inmost soul, ye pains, wounds, affronts, labors, afflictions, and ignominious death, Come, come, come quickly, for the fire of love, which burns for the salvation of men, is anxious to see you meet the innocent one of all creatures. Well do I know your value. I have sought, desired, and solicited you, and I meet you joyously of my own free will. I have purchased you by my anxiety and searching for you, and I esteem you for your merits. I desire to remedy and enhance your value and raise you to highest dignity." Let death come in order that by my accepting it without having deserved it, I may triumph over it and gain life for those who have been punished by death for their sins. I give permission to my friends to forsake me, for I alone desire and am able to enter into this battle and gain for them triumph and victory. Isaiah 53.3 During these words and prayers of the author of life, Judas advanced in order to give the signal upon which he had agreed with his companions, namely the customary but now feigned kiss of peace, by which they were to distinguish Jesus as the one whom they should single out from the rest and immediately seize. These precautions the unhappy disciple had taken, not only out of avarice for the money and hatred against his master, but also on account of the fear with which he was filled for he dreaded the inevitable necessity of meeting him and encountering him in the future if Christ was not put to death on this occasion. Such a confusion he feared more than the death of his soul or the death of his divine master, and in order to forestall it, he hastened to complete his treachery and desired 
to see the author of life die at the hands of his enemies. The traitor then ran up to the meekest lord, and as a consummate hypocrite, hiding his hatred, he imprisoned on his countenance the kiss of peace, saying, God save thee, master. By this so treacherous act, the perdition of Judas was matured, and God was justified in withholding his grace and help. On the part of the unfaithful disciple, malice and temerity reached their highest degree. For interiorly denying or disbelieving the uncreated and created wisdom by which Christ must know of his treason and ignoring his power to destroy him, he sought to hide his malice under the cloak of the friendship of a true disciple. And all this for the purpose of delivering over to such a frightful and cruel death his creator and master, to whom he was bound by so many obligations. In this one act of treason he committed so many and such formidable sins that it is impossible to fathom their immensity, for he was treacherous, murderous, sacrilegious, ungrateful, inhuman, disobedient, false, lying, impious, and unequaled in hypocrisy. And all this was included in one and the same crime, perpetrated against the person of God made man. 5.16 On the part of the Lord shone forth his ineffable mercy and equity, since those words of David were fulfilled in an eminent manner, With them they hated peace. I was peaceable. When I spoke to them, they fought against me without cause. Psalm 119.7 So completely did the Lord fulfill this prophecy that when in answer to the kiss of Judas, he said, Friend, whereto art thou come? He sent into the heart of the traitorous disciple a new and most clear light, by which Judas saw the atrocious malice of his treason, the punishment to follow. If he should not make it good by true penitence and merciful pardon still to be obtained from the divine clemency. What Judas clearly read in those few words of Christ was, Friend, take heed, lest thou cause thy perdition and abuse my meekness by this treason. If thou seek my friendship, I will not refuse it to thee on account of this deed, as soon as thou art sorry for thy sin. Consider well thy temerity in delivering me by false friendship and under cover of a false peace and a kiss of reverence and love. Remember the benefits thou hast received by my charity, and that I am the son of the virgin by whom thou hast been so often favored and rejoiced with motherly advice and counsel during thy apostolate. Even if it were only for her sake, thou shouldst not commit such a treason as to sell and deliver her son. In no wise does her loving meekness deserve such an outrageous wrong, for she has never been unkind to thee. But although thou hast now committed this wrong, do not despise her intercession, for she alone will be powerful with me, and for her sake I offer thee pardon and life, since she has many times besought me to do so. I assure thee that we love thee, for thou art yet in life, where there is hope, and where we will not deny thee our friendship, if thou seek it. But if thou refuse it, thou wilt merit our abhorrence an eternal chastisement and pain. The seed of the divine words took no root in the heart of the unhappy reprobate. It was harder than adamant and more inhuman than that of a wild beast. Resisting the divine clemency, he finally fell into despair, as I shall relate in the next chapter. 5.17 The signal of the kiss, having been given by Judas, the Lord, with his disciples and soldiers, who had come to capture him, came face to face, forming two squadrons, the most opposed and hostile that ever the world saw. 
For on the one side with Christ, our Lord, true God and man, as the captain of all the just, supported by his eleven apostles, the chieftains, and the champions of his church, with innumerable hosts of angelic spirits, full of adoring wonder at this spectacle. On the other side were Judas, the originator of the treason, filled with hypocrisy and hatred, and many Jews and Gentiles bent on venting their malice with the greatest cruelty. Surrounding these were Lucifer and a multitude of demons, inciting and assisting Judas and his helpers, boldly to lay their sacrilegious hands upon their Creator. With unfathomable love for suffering and great force and authority, the Lord then spoke to the soldiers, saying, Whom seek ye? John eighteen four to 5 They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. John said to them, I am he. By this inestimably precious and blessed words, Christ declared himself as our Redeemer and Savior. For only by his offering himself freely to redeem us by his passion and death could our hope of eternal life ever rest on firm foundation. 5.18 His enemies could not understand or fathom the true meaning of these words. I am he. But his most blessed mother and the angels understood them, as did also to a great extent the apostles. It was as if he said, I am who am, Exodus 3.14, as I have said to my prophet Moses, for I am of myself and all creatures having their being and existence from me. I am eternal, immense, infinite, one in substance and attributes, and I have made myself man hiding my glory in order that by means of my passion and death, to which you wish to condemn me, I might save the world. As the Lord spoke with divine power, his enemies should not resist, and when his words struck their ears, they all fell backwards to the ground. John 18.6 This happened not only to the soldiers, but to the dogs, which they had brought with them, and to the horses on which some of them rode. All of them fell to the ground and remained motionless like stones. Lucifer and his demons were hurled down with them, deprived of motion and suffering, new confusion and torture. Thus they remained for some seven or eight minutes, showing no more signs of life than if they died. O word of a God, so mysterious in meaning and more than invincible in power, let not the wise glory before thee in their wisdom and astuteness, nor the powerful in their valor. Jeremiah 9.23 Let the vanity and arrogance of the children of Babylon be humbled, since one word from the mouth of the Lord, spoken with so much meekness and humility, confounds, destroys, and annihilates all the pride and power of man in hell. Let us, children of the church, also learn that the victories of Christ are gained by confessing the truth, by giving place unto wrath, Romans 12.19, by showing meekness and humility of heart, Matthew 11.29, by overcoming and being overcome with dove-like simplicity, by the peacefulness and resignment of sheep free from resistance of furious and ravenous wolves, 5.19. Sadly, our divine Lord contemplated the picture of eternal damnation exhibited in them and listened to the prayer of his most holy mother, to let them rise, for upon her intercession his divine will had made that dependent. When it was time for them to come to themselves, he prayed to the Eternal Father, saying, My Father and Eternal God, in my hands thou hast placed all things, John 13.3, and hast consigned to me the redemption required by thy justice. I wish to satisfy it and give myself over to death with all my heart, in order to merit for my brethren participation in thy treasures and the eternal happiness held out to them. By this expression of his efficacious will, the Lord gave permission to that whole miserable band of men, demons and animals, to arise and be restored to the same condition as before their falling down. A second time the Savior said to them, Whom seek ye? And they again answered, Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord answered, 
most meekly, I have already told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. John 18.8 With these words he gave permission to the servants and the soldiers to take him prisoner and execute their designs, which without their understanding it meant nothing else than to draw upon his divine person all our sorrows and infirmities. Isaiah 53.4.5.20 The first one who hastened to approach in order to lay his hands upon the master of life was a servant of the high priests named Melchus. In spite of the fear and consternation of all the apostles, St. Peter, more than all the rest, was roused with zeal for the defense and the honor and life of the divine master. Drawing a cutlass, which he had with him, he made a pass at Melchus and cut off one of his ears, severing it entirely from the head. John 18.10 The stroke would have resulted in a much more serious wound if the divine providence of the master of patience and meekness had not diverted it. The Lord would not permit that any other death than his own should occur at his capture. His wounds, his blood, and suffering alone should rescue to eternal life the human race, as many of it as are willing. Nor was it his will, or according to his teaching that his person be defended by the use of arms. And he did not wish to leave such an example in his church as one to be principally imitated for her defense. In order to confirm this doctrine, which he had always inculcated, he picked up the severed ear and restored it to its place, perfectly healing the wound and making Melchus more sound and whole than he ever was before. But he first turned to St. Peter and reprehended him, saying, Put thy sword into the scabbard, for all that shall take it to kill with it shall perish. Dost thou not wish that I drink the chalice which my father hath given me? Thinkest thou that I cannot ask my father, and he will give me presently many legions of angels for my defense? But how then shall the scriptures and the prophets be fulfilled? John 18.11, Matthew 26.53 This concludes our reading today for day number 239. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 13, paragraphs 512 to 520. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew that they were coming. And we heard in our reading today, having consigned to them Judas as a hostage, they sent this band on its way to apprehend the most innocent lamb who was awaiting them and who was aware of all the thoughts and schemes of the sacrilegious priests as foretold expressly by Jeremiah. I think this is always something to keep in mind. There are no secrets when it comes to Jesus. We can try to hide things deep within our hearts, but The Lord knows our hearts, he knows our thoughts, he knows our schemes, he knows our intentions of our actions. The Lord knows everything about us. And that's why we ask the Lord to purify everything in our lives, that all our thoughts, all our actions, all our words might be holy, that they might be in sync with his divine will. We ask that the Lord who knows us, that we might know him more, that we might have his mind, that we might have his heart, so that we can take that on ourselves, so that what the Lord knows about us is only pure goodness. That kiss of Judas, he goes, finds Jesus, and kisses him with that kiss of peace. I'm not sure this is really why we kiss the altar at Mass, but in my own priesthood, that's what I've taken it to be that that kiss of the altar 
is the beginning of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and we are trying to repair the damage of Judas. That kiss of the altar is as if it's making reparation for the past. Of course, we kiss the altar too because there's relics. The relics of the saints are there. I always try in the altar where I know the relic stone is to be able to make sure I kiss in that particular spot. But to take such a gesture, one, the kiss of peace, we know today as well, a kiss is a sign of affection and love, and to distort it. When it comes to Judas, Jesus says, If thou seek my friendship, I will not refuse it to thee on account of this deed as soon as thou art sorry for thy sin. Well, doesn't Jesus say that to us too every time we sin? He says, You can still seek my friendship. If you are sorry, well then, I always welcome you back. And finally, at the very end of our reading today, we heard of that healing of Melchus, Peter cutting off his ear, Jesus attaching it, healing it, remedying it. You wonder what that individual thought. What did Malchus think? In one moment, he was in pain and bleeding, and in the next moment, he was made whole. Was he in awe and wonder as he was in the presence of Jesus, the one whom he came to arrest? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.